everyone, I'm Hannah Lloyd. And I'm Charlotte Gilfillan. Welcome to our podcast, Women in Wellies. Each episode, we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you, our listeners. This episode is sponsored by the Landed Estates and Rural Business Team at Henderson Loggy Chartered Accountants. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Women in Wellies podcast. This week we are joined by Laura Warrender. Laura, thank you for joining us. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very flattered that you've asked me to be here. Definitely feel like um, a woman in one wellie rather than a woman in two. <laughs> that would give you a very funny like uh, gait as you walked. <laughs> I don't think I've graduated to be able to wear both, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, so, Laura, can you kick us off by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, I am a partner in Menunchen and Pinklanty Farms, um, which, alongside my husband Jack and his parents, Johnny and Fiona Warrender, um, Menunchen's a hill farm and a sporting estate in the Stencher Valley in South Bedford. I'm also a board member of Scottish Land Estates, SLE, um, which is a membership organisation who support rural businesses um, and represents um, their members' views to politicians and any other decision maker who um, can be lobbied. Um, I am a trustee of the Galloway and Southern Ayrshire Biosphere Reserve, which is a landscape designation from UNESCO. Um, and I am also um, a mum of three children um, who are six, three and one. So you've got your hands full, basically, <laughs> in summary. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and Laurie, while you're a partner in the estate today, you didn't always kind of have that kind of route and estate in, in mind probably before you met. Jack, what did you do before you ran a rural business? Yeah, so before I, um, I, I've got I've got kind of Scottish roots, but I didn't actually grow up in Scotland. Um, my great grandfather was a novelist who wrote a lot about Scotland. He, he invented the McNab, which is um, quite cool if you're into that kind of thing. Um, and so I grew up like you know, obviously coming to Scotland and reading a lot about Scotland, um, but um, didn't imagine actually um, ending up here. I came to university here. Um, I was a kind of bookish kid who wanted to visit castles and do brass rubbings in medieval churches in my free time. Um, and I did a literature degree and then I went into television. I started off as a researcher um, and then I became a, a producer of sort of history and arts documentaries. Um, so I worked with historians and academics and um, uh, the odd kind of music star um, making um, documentaries mostly for the BBC, um, which I was doing when I met my husband, Jack, who also makes documentaries as well. And he mentioned the wet hill farm in South Ayrshire. And I thought, yeah, sounds kind of cool. You were like, that's me, <laughs> sold. <laughs> yeah, I really was. Um, I said to him that I always fancied the idea of having like a flock of sheep. And he was like, well, okay, yeah, we can do that. Maybe like a few more than just a flock, but come and have a look. Um, and um, yeah, so that was that was a few years ago, and um, and now here I am. The rest, the rest is history. I think it's it's um, really cool, Laura, that you used to work in like TV and film, probably on documentaries that we've all watched. 
as if given they were if they were on the BBC, you know. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I worked with um, uh, with some sort of, I suppose, interesting kind of journalists like Jeremy Paxman and Andrew Marr. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. with Lady Gaga. That was a kind of blip from the um, <laughs> out out from the history books, um, which was good fun. Um, and and yeah, it was great. I mean, I I travelled quite a bit, and um, it basically allowed me to spend lots of time on the phone, lots of time arguing. Um, and lots of time reading, um, which was which was great when you're in your twenties. Um, but when I came to having children, it was, was just not really practical for both of us to be to be travelling so much um, and working such long hours. And Menanchen, um, which is where Jack was brought up, was sort of looming on the horizon. And it's not a huge place, um, but it, it certainly is is big enough to need one of us. Um, to kind of take it on full time, so so um, I was I was up for it. And you're in the process of kind of succession, which is something uh, Laura, you and I have spoken about uh, extensively before because of because of what other things we're involved in. But how much of a challenge has it been for you, kind of facing that when you're not from you didn't grow up on a hill farm, you've got you know there's so such a variety of interests on the estate. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I've had so many challenges along the way, but um, I suppose from uh, coming from uh, not coming from a farming background, um, my grandfather, my mother's dad, farmed in Mid Wales in the Black Mountains, um, so I kind of grew up spending a lot of time there. But I never imagined that I would actually be living a sort of similar life um, to that. Um, the so the one of the first things that I did was I kind of packed myself off to SRUC in air um, and I did a year um, of the agriculture course that did an HNC um, which was which was great I bought myself a boiler suit and tried to make friends with the 18 year old um, it once asked me to a beach party and a night out in Geary's which is a nightclub in air so I thought you know I'm, I've made it but um, unfortunately I had a one-year-old at home so I always had an excuse um, but it was great because it was an opportunity to um, just to get a really good kind of grounding in, in an industry and a, and a world that that I really did not know much about at all. Um, so so yes, yeah, I, I started with that, and then that meant that I could read pages of the Scottish Farmer and and uh, you know vaguely follow it um, and show it as a badge to sort of skeptical middle-aged men so I did that and then um and then since being married to Jack I've been kind of involved very kind of steadily in the, in the partnership so I was immediately like coming to our meetings and my parents you know were very kind of inclusive and said you know what do you have time to get involved in and what would you like to get involved in um so we have been lucky in that respect we've had a we've had a really long kind of drawn out handover period which has basically gone over about five years and um, so next year is when we will move there full time and um we will be really on the ground running things um in a really hands-on way um no family has has navigated succession and come at the end of it saying we did that really well um i think shifting a balance between two generations is never going to be particularly straightforward and everyone does it differently um but but I think it's important that um everyone keeps talking 
um, and everyone is open and honest and sort of if in doubt, copy them into an email or pick up the phone, tell them your plans. Um, you know, we do have different priorities because we are at a different age um, and we're, we're living in a different world um, and it would be sort of weird if we didn't. Um, and we're also responding to, 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 to different, you know, climate and, and different, um, different political climate as well. Um, so, and, but I do also think that it's helpful if you're in a, if you are in a sort of transition like we are for everyone involved to, to be involved. <laughs> and by that, I mean that kind of for everyone to know what their project is or what their responsibilities are and to be really clear on that because otherwise I think you can find yourself you know getting into kind of muddy water and Laura can you just tell us a little bit more about what you've got going on at Menunchen because it's quite it's quite varied which probably also gives you space for everyone to have their own kind of projects and their own things that they can own as you've gone through this five-year transition yeah, so um, Menanchin is um, it, it's diversified to the extent that it's made up of a, a sheep farming business, which we're in a contract farming agreement, um, which we have been for the last 18 years, and that's always been very successful. Um, we have a forestry business, so we have some commercial forestry, um, and we have a lot of a lot of mixed woodland that's been planted over the years, um, which which needs sort of gradual management. Um, we have a little forest school area, which is used by a local kind of outward bound group as an outdoor classroom. Um, three self-catering holiday cottages. There's salmon and sea trout in the river Stincher, um, the red and roe deer stalking uh, in the valley and also on the edges of the Galloway Forest, which we sort of border. Um, we have quite a large pheasant shoot um, and days that we let. And... And kind of all in between that, we have various kind of conservation projects, which are kind of ongoing, which are gamekeeper slash stalker slash gilly. One man who does it all also also leads on. Um, so there's, yes, there's lots going on. But um, so, yeah, as you say, there's, there, there's lots for us all to, to, um, to get involved in. And what would you say, Laura, is your favourite conservation project? So there's a project which I wasn't involved in but has been um, ongoing for a number of years which is something that my parents and law uh, started which um is all focused on the the river cincher which which runs through the middle of the valley which runs pretty much straight the way through the through the estate um and gradually they are trying to um restore the riverbank in the way that we're trying to push our fences back into the field and do quite a lot of riparian planting of of native trees um, all along the riverbanks um, because it's, it's an enormous benefit to aquatic life and also all of the um, species that that live alongside. Um, when they bought the farm thirty years ago, um, no woods were fenced, the river wasn't fenced, um, there was actually very little woodland in the valley, um, and they they have over the course of over the past 30 years done a pretty massive um kind of restoration of of it and it's now a it's now a wooded watery um uh, place kind of teeming teeming with wildlife so um i would love to love to continue that that sounds like an amazing 
project Laura nice to be able to come in at a point and really see the benefits of keeping doing it because I think sometimes we see a conservation project right at the beginning and people talk about it but you don't see how it's benefited 30 years on and why you should keep going down the river because what that will be like in another 30 years and another 30 years so it's that's um that's really really cool and nice that they've been able to do that all up all up the valley on the estate and there's also parts where we haven't you know haven't yet done it and also there are areas in the river where we don't own both sides so we have neighbors about you know we would hope to try and like encourage them to do the same or, or possibly like do a project together um i mean i know the kind of outlook for you can sometimes get a bit sort of bleak about how little we know about the kind of future of future of farming and 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 what's happening with sort of biodiversity loss and climate change and all these things but actually i'm really like excited about what, what we might be able to do particularly if if we are going to be encouraged to collaborate with our neighbors because of, of course we can do as much as we like on our few thousand acres but in the grand scheme of things like you know, we need to be working like as a whole valley um, if we really care about keeping our curlews or um, or, or kind of improving um, improving the river. So something like that is a good would be a good thing to focus on. And is that kind of desire, Laura, for landscape scale change? Why you got involved in the biosphere? Uh, yeah. So the the biosphere um, is. It, it's a landscape designation which um, which recognises that the, the area is sort of natural environment and it and its heritage, and um, it, it doesn't bring any rules or regulations. It's not like a national park, but really it encourages and and facilitates sort of cooperation. So so yes, I would say it's very much like um, my style. Um, it, it, mm-hmm. it tries to sort of encourage conversations between groups and communities and businesses um, to. To, to do to do projects like this um and they've just expanded haven't they the biosphere yeah so it's just recently um had its 10-year um periodic review um and been redesignated um as a reserve and and we have expanded um its boundary to include alloway and the rins of galloway um and also um two nautical miles of of the marine the marine environment so actually going into the sea Laura, you're clearly very passionate about what you do and involved in some fantastic initiatives like the Biosphere, um, which has actually culminated in you being a finalist in the Rural Rising Star category at this year's Helping It Happen Awards from Scottish Land Estates. So congratulations. I was very surprised to be nominated, let alone shortlisted. Um, So particularly as the two women that I've been shortlisted alongside are sort of Caroline Miller and Claire Taylor are already stars definitely <laughs> they ain't rising <laughs> no i think it's a very very strong category but congratulations yeah really really pleased to be becoming a finalist um on the topic of of inspiration then you've mentioned previously about the forest school that you have um and obviously the fact that you have three children how much are you inspired by trying to connect young people with nature and rural skills and you know rural life yeah, so my children are, I mean, a constant source of inspiration. I suppose um, what's what's exciting for, for me and for them is because I was not born here and and have no kind of previous experience of, of living on a farm, um, 
we are almost discovering it together. So as I teach them, they, you know, I'm learning myself. Um, and I now look for things to explain to them. So whether it, it's sitting and watching a hair run between her leverets or going out to the river in the evening to try and see if we can see an otter um, or sitting out on the hill waiting for the curlies. I mean, it's just all, it's, it's all so exciting. And I really want um, to teach them obviously to love the land, but also to, to really understand it. Um, and as far as other children um, are concerned, I mean, we, it, it's, it's really rewarding to being able to um, bring children here, um, whether that's like through the, through the forest school um, or, um, or local schools, um, which I'd love to do, uh, do a bit more of. But even just the children who come and stay in our holiday cottages, like, you know, going to see them during their holiday and finding out what they've been doing and where they've been exploring and what they've seen um, is, is, is really exciting um, to be able to offer that. So um, I am very keen to try and bring in more young people, particularly from our area, um, in order to experience what a rural life is like and now whether that, that could be through rural skills like hedge laying or diking but we don't really have many dry stone walls but it could be something like that or just um kind of first-hand experience of the the roles of the people who work at Menunchen. so that could be our gamekeeper or our farmer our handyman you know the, the the variety of tasks that he does in his day um and that's where i'm i'm quite intrigued by the estates the educate program um which would you know i'd love if that kind of expanded and kind of ventured down our neck of the woods um because that's a really a, a really brilliant um a brilliant effort to kind of bring children closer to, to, to the work that these farms and estates do um because it's you know it do, does sometimes surprise me how how disconnected um children just even even really really nearby um are you know from whether it's Girvan or even our local village like you know, i think it's um it would be a great thing to do more of no definitely i'm i'm a huge fan of the estates that educate program i think it's an absolutely phenomenal initiative and has obviously been incredibly well received and if it, if it could be rolled out even further that would be fantastic and you're right i think there is this real disconnect um and i'm not convinced that the the current curriculum in schools actually helps in any way um and there is a lot of good work going on i mean royal highland education trust they're doing some phenomenal work as well about giving act um giving children access to particularly farms and understanding where their food com comes from but then i think as well as we move towards um you know as we as we require more green jobs if you like then we need the skills and the training to be able to support that and i think as well a lot of children perhaps don't understand the opportunities that there are on farms and estates and in the wider rural environment um so having that opportunity to come to somewhere like your estate and and learn about that and even to spark their interest i think what's um what it would be would be great for anyone kind of who who has a farm has an estate and and feels like they can offer up any kind of sort of experience or or even just a few hours to sort of make themselves known to like these organizations like estates that educate or countryside learning scotland because and even like um 
you know, me just ringing up the local school or the college in Stranraer. You know, we had a girl who came on work experience last year who, who wanted to be a gamekeeper and she didn't come from a farming background at all or a gamekeeping background. Um, and we just arranged, you know, just her, her teacher got in touch and said, any chance? And, and we arranged a few days and it was, and, and I think she really, really enjoyed it. Even seeing like young boys and like and girls um in the in our beating line like on a shoot day and it's nice when there are shoot days built all on the weekends because then they're able to come to them, um and we know we have done a couple of kind of training courses um which actually was came through the village um wind farm kind of community benefit fund, which is the sort of best way that this money could be spent um. So we kind of hosted a number of training courses for like tractor driving and um, and chainsawing and stuff. And that was a really good way to just to get people who were local, but um, but but keen to learn a skill. Um, and, a lot, and a lot of those were young people. So having kind of fully immersed yourself into the rural world and particularly lands management, tell us what prompted you to join the Scottish Land Estates Board? I'd been involved with SLE um, for a couple of years. I was obviously a member and I um, really used them as a resource. You know, I was one of those members who did actually ring the policy team members a lot saying, please, can you please can you give me some advice on this? Particularly because I, I really didn't know, you know, in many situations kind of what, what I should be doing. So. Um, so I was involved um, as a member, and then um, uh, there was um, quite a push to um, to start more more work and more kind of focus on on each region. And um, and the region that that we are in is is called Clydeside, um, and um, uh, they were looking for a chairman in, and and I applied to be the chairman of that region. So as a as a regional chair, um, really you're there to kind of rally support. Um, you're there to bring the members together and promote your members, um, arrange events. Um, and it was a really good good way actually for me to meet people, particularly like in you know in in our parts, southwest Scotland, um, and to see what other people were doing. Usually I'd then go and ask them for sort of endless amounts of advice because um, I don't have a problem with asking <laughs> asking for advice. Um, so I was. Um, uh, the the chairman for for the Clydeside region. Um, I've been doing that for a couple of years, um, and through that, um, I got in, was I suppose sort of slightly closer to the sort of coalface of, of what SLE are are doing in Scotland. Um, so when they they were, I think, trying to diversify their board a bit, um, and invited myself and Michael Hume to to join it. So we have come in um, uh, as two young-ish things um, <laughs> um, to, to hopefully um, uh, add, add a new perspective. And, and as part of that, you've developed a next-gen group, haven't you? Yeah, so Michael and I were, were talking, I think, probably about what was happening at the Hursle where he lives and Douglas and, and uh, Melanchthon where we are. Um, and we came to the conclusion there must be a lot of people in a similar situation. Um, slightly searching, um, probably feeling a bit isolated because geographically we all are quite isolated. Um, and we thought it would be a sort of helpful and fun um, 
exercise to try and bring in bring people together who were all at a similar stage in in um, either taking on a rural business or kind of just getting getting going in one. Um, so we pulled all our contacts and spoke to as many people as possible, and we started a group which covers just the south of Scotland. Um, but I think it's since sparked others elsewhere. Um, and and we meet we meet every couple of months. We have kind of online. Um, evenings where we uh, invite speakers to come and talk to us or we might get a couple who um, are actually members of the group to kind of share with us um, their experience um, their hopes and dreams um, and and we also do we, we've had a few a couple of dinners which have been which have been great and I think everyone has you know the kind of feedback has been really positive everyone's been amazingly honest um, and lots of connections have been made because of it um, and because, of course, it's it's great to be able to ask the older generation um, about their experiences and things. But but actually, in some situations, you know, to be able to sort of look sideways um, and ask those who are really kind of in the thick of it, um, where the kind of <laughs> experience is so much kind of fresher and rawer, um, is it is really valuable. I hope, I hope it will just continue to grow and the kind of network will expand. And what's good about it being online is that actually we've been able to include people who are, you know, there's quite a wide age, wide age range. And we've been able to include people who are perhaps working away still, um, or, or for other reasons, they have to work away. Um, and, uh, and so it's been, it's, it's been great. It's been very, very kind of diverse group. So, Laura, you've just shared with us like a huge range of what's got you to where you are today, what you're doing, loads of loads of opportunities. But I'm sure along the way there's been like bumps in the road or things that have posed challenges. Are there any challenges that you're willing to like share and talk a little bit about? Yes, I suppose the first challenge, um, because I had zero knowledge, um, was around language. I mean, it, it seems very simple to say that, but I started off by sitting in on farm meetings and honestly we did not really know I couldn't really follow them um I was sort of writing words in the margin of my notepaper um to sort of go home and google because I mean who knew what gimmer was um so that was that was the initial challenge um but I suppose my kind of training as a researcher meant that I was I've, I've always been very keen to learn I've always been very keen on kind of facts and information so I sort of applied that same um of enthusiasm to to the kind of world of rural Scotland um the, the difficulty I find I suppose with this is that you're not simply having to learn about one industry you know I need to I need to be able to follow what's going on in the forestry sector and in tourism and sporting and farming um and and keep on top of you know the shifting <laughs> shifting policy um around all of those um and I suppose there have been frustrations in the time when that enthusiasm has been interpreted as, as naivety um, by people. And, and that does irritate me <laughs> because, frankly, I'm, I'm just a few years behind, um, a few years behind and, and a few experiences behind. <laughs> um, but, but I'm quite determined to, to catch up. Um, I think it's really it's really interesting um, Laura, somebody who has also kind of come into the rural sector, people still say stuff and I'm like, I have no idea 
I have no idea what that is. I have no idea what that means. And I'm like, you're frantically trying to remember the words to like look it up. And I remember being at an event and um, phoning Charlotte on my way home and asking her what a McNabb is because I'd never heard of it before. I had no idea. And I I knew enough to know that the room I was in wasn't the place to ask that question. But uh, but I I also knew that I phone a friend, you know, that's what it's, that's what it's all about, <laughs> phone a friend. I have Jack. Jack is my phone a friend. So whenever, wherever he is in the world, I have, he's, he's usually quite good at replying to WhatsApp messages as long as he's not sort of in the Arctic or... Um, but I I often have to send him a message being like, what is this bird? And, you know, that, do I sound like an idiot writing this? Um, and he keeps he keeps me straight. As long as we've got that, as long as we've got those allies, those of us who are new to a sector can um, can can cope, <laughs> can get by. Um, I would say the other challenge, you need to be completely honest, is that there are some times when I think I'm spreading myself too thin um, and it, it would not be possible. It, life would not be possible <laughs> um, without without the support that I get. So, and I mean that with in in relation to my children. So, um, we have a really kind of haphazard kind of childcare arrangement between you know nurseries and schools and and, and help. Um, and also, I I really rely on my parents-in-law a lot. Um, and in even my own parents, who are quite far away, are kind of often coming up and and helping. And I've done sort of. You know, there have been times where I've had to take babies to board meetings and sawmills and sort of inappropriate places um, and, you know, have them under my desk whilst I'm trying to have a Zoom meeting. Um, and not right now, actually, because they're all in bed, thankfully. Um, but that's just that's just the reality of, of, of being a kind of young, young mum. But I'm definitely um, very reliant on, on a lot of help. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really uh, valuable to recognise that as somebody who um, had a sleeping baby of yours on on me at, a, at an event uh, last year. Do you know, like, so you could just focus on the meeting, and I was just like rocking the baby at the back of the at the back of the room. I know how much you how much you value that, and I think being able to acknowledge that you couldn't do it without help is is incredibly in, an incredibly important part of it because Jack obviously is still travelling and filming and. <laughs> all of those things I mean there've definitely been moments where I've kind of looked back at the room and thought maybe this wasn't wasn't the time to bring the baby like as a paper has been delivered to sort of a group of journalists and a politician um but um but I'm learning I'm learning <laughs> I love it um Laura you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to but have you found at any point in kind of learning coming into the rural sector that you've experienced any kind of like imposter syndrome or like questioning your own kind of ability or do you feel like you're kind of getting there with the grounding of knowledge that's allowing you to kind of show up confidently in most of these places that you are showing up I would say yes 100% I constantly feel some some element of imposter syndrome um I am I struggled at the beginning because I left um, a job that I was doing quite well in. You know, I was I was I was pretty good at my job. I wasn't I wasn't the best, but I was I was all right. Um, and then I came out of that, and then I went into um, this role right at the bottom with no knowledge, and I was constantly having to ask um, for help, and that was that that was difficult. 
Um, and I, I do feel like I'm like I'm more confident and, and more knowledgeable every time, you know, every week almost. Um, and, I, and I'm quite determined to sort of to, to keep to keep improving. Um, but but yes, like, you know, I, I'm amazed, for example, like to be nominated for an award, like the Helping It Happen Award. Um, I did think that they might have <laughs> might have made a mistake. I actually thought that I'd accidentally nominated myself because I was nominating lots of people and I got a message saying, you've been nominated. I thought, oh God, I just can't even put my own email address in. <laughs> no, but I think, um, Laura, that I have a lot, of, a lot of respect for you going back to the beginning of something because it's so easy to stick in something we know that we're, that we're good at. You know, like you say, you get validation every day from people saying, you know, you're doing a great job or from viewing figures or any of those things, whatever it may be, whatever sector you're in. And to kind of take the plunge and go, go back to the, go back to the beginning is, is, is really tough. And um, so I think you're incredible that you've chosen to do that and that you didn't make Jack do it. <laughs> well, it was obviously, I mean, I, I do think it's like a, it's a huge privilege and, 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 a, and a luxury to be able to go back to study. Um, so I, I'm very grateful for that opportunity because it's not possible for everyone. Um, and I don't think the qualification would, nothing necessarily makes me kind of better at something but it, it got my ear in and I um and I'm really really glad I did it um Laura given everything that you've done with next generation this this final question is incredibly fitting for you and it's one that we ask all our guests so what is the one piece of advice you would give to the next generation of rural women in Scotland I'd say if you really want something to happen then it's not going to fall into your lap and you've got to go after it um, you've got to pick up the phone, write that email, um, and don't you know let any fear or, or worry about what someone might think get in your way. I mean, they can only say no, um, and then you just you know pick yourself up off the, up off the floor and start again. Um, but you don't, you're not going to know unless you try. Um, I'd also say that there's no point in being frustrated or angry that this is a world that traditionally has been dominated by by men um, forming opinion and making the decisions. I mean, there have been women involved for generations, but, but generally the, the opinions and the decision-making has been done by men. In my experience, it, it, it's not been the way to get the best out of people, um, but just your presence is beginning to address that balance. Um, and you are then an inspiration to the next generation and to the and they to the next and and rural scotland will will only be a better place for it well laura thank you so much for joining us and sharing your stories experiences and lessons thank you very much for having me if you would like to connect with laura you will find her details in the show notes Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram at Women and Wellies Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest news. And you can email us with any questions on womeninwelliespodcast at gmail.com and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time.